Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to another weekend of our Sunday morning stay at home podcast. I'm here with Tyler today, and we are going to be getting into the story of Gideon's victory. We spent a lot of weeks talking about the setup to this story, uh, and today we get to follow Gideon through his victory over the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other Eastern people. So even though Gideon is a military leader, and the setting of this story today really is a battlefield, uh, this is not a story about Gideon's victory being through the might of his military. It really is a story about how faithful God is and how able God is to deliver his people, even when the odds aren't stacked in their favor. In some ways, this is a story about God stacking the odds intentionally against his people so that his power can really be on display. And so uh, we'll just get right into the story today. Do you want to start reading it there in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, Tyler? Sure. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, oh, while 10,000... So two-thirds of the army leaves. We've hardly even marched anywhere yet. And if you recall, they're facing off against an army that has been described as locusts. Uh, it's been pointed out that there are too many camels in this other army to count. And so I know right here, I'm, I'm like, what is God doing? What is he thinking? But beyond what God is thinking, I wonder, what is the army thinking? I mean, what if, what if you were there on that day? What, what would you be thinking? If, you're, if you imagine the scene, you're sitting there, you've come up with an army of 32,000, and at the first stop, the leader poses the question, hey, is anyone feeling a little bit fearful about the upcoming battle? And then two-thirds of the people walk away. What do you think? It seems like a good out, doesn't it? Like, how <laughs> few. Somebody said, I don't have to go to battle. I'm out of this thing, you know. I think you're right. I would definitely I would be in the be two-thirds that walked away, not the ones who stayed with. Anyhow, the Lord says to Gideon in verse 4, well, there are still too many men. So take them down to the water, and I'm going to thin them out for you there. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. Anyways, he says, if I say this one will go with you, then he should go. But if I say this one will not go with you, then he shall not go. And so Gideon, and we've... <laughs> We've talked earlier about God raises up judges, and they obey him, and through their obedience, God delivers the people. I think in many ways, Gideon's story is a great example of people obeying God when it makes no sense whatsoever. Anyhow, he takes the men down to the water, and the Lord says to him there, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dogs lap from those who kneel down to drink. Verse 6, 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. And all the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home. But he kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. I don't even know how they carried all those trumpets and provisions. You go from 32,000 down to 300 and they've got to carry, doing a little quick math, 100 times the stuff what they showed up with. That's a lot. Anyhow, we're down th uh, 300 out of the original 32,000. That's less than 1%. 
And at this point in the story, I just, I couldn't imagine Gideon feeling anything but discouraged. I imagine him thinking, God, you have called me to lead this army. Uh, I started out with a big army, but now you've whittled it down. I've, I've hardly got a raider's band at my, under my charge. And I totally understand that you want to save me by your hand. I understand that you want the glory. But I, I imagine Gideon's thinking, God, this just seems absurd. I wonder what God would say back to Gideon in that situation. It seems to me, if we were to read the story from our perspective or Gideon's, that's the easy way to think about it, right? You would think about it like, um, what's it going to take for God to give me something legitimate to where I can go into battle here? But if you were to read the story from God's perspective, it's almost an act of grace. Like, how absurd can I be with Gideon to where he really starts to see that, like, I'm truly going to Yeah, I wonder if the number of people that he had to whittle it down to is tailored for Gideon, right? Where it's like, okay, you've got 10,000 people and God looks at Gideon and he sees in him, you know, maybe a certain level of confidence in the 10,000 troops. Like, well, it's not 32,000, but there's 10,000 and, you know, a few of them look like they're pretty good fighters. And then, <laughs> and so God's like, okay, round two. And he takes it down to where there's just, yeah, like you said, only, only 300 people. And at that point, God knows in looking at Gideon, he knows that, this is, this is what was needed for Gideon to truly trust me. Well, and this story certainly represents one that <clears throat> kind of goes down in the record books for the Bible stories, you know, like it's one that we love to tell. But the truth is, Gideon isn't like this shining star of a figure. Um, and so I'm sure God knows Gideon's trust and his faith in him and has to go to an extreme measure for, like you say, Gideon's sake, so that he can truly show himself as the hero of this story, rather than Gideon sort of seeing like, okay, well, you know, a couple thousand people left, but, you know, we still have 30,000, so we can do it with 30,000. It has to go to an extreme in this story for God to truly be yeah, I think in some the ways, main character. Uh, this reminds me of, of just how easy it is in our own lives to to forget that God's the main character in our story as well, or that when we have victories, that he's the one who deserves credit for those victories. You know, so often in my own life, I look at the wonderful gifts God has given me, the way he's provided for me, and it's easy for me to feel like uh, I have the things I have in life because I've been a good boy, because I've worked really hard, uh, because I've been faithful uh, because I've been, you know, graced with a, a family that raised me right and taught me right. And and it, it can be easy for me to lean on those similar to how a general might lean on 30,000 troops versus who do they lean on when they've only got 300 people. And so, yeah, God's definitely whittled things down to where uh, there shouldn't be any question about whose hand deliverance is coming from. Uh, you mentioned that God's the hero of the story. I, I know for me in reading this, I was... I was just struck afresh by the idea of these 300 men who are with Gideon. Because um, I don't think it's just Gideon who's challenged by that. I, I mean, if we look at the troops and we see, and you're just a low level troop and you see everyone else walking away, like you said, I would be the first to jump in the group that's walking away. Like, what could it possibly be that kept anyone there? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to talk about the faith of, of men, I would say it's definitely the faith of the 300. I mean, 
they're the ones, they're not the ones that were having the conversation with God. So at least Gideon <laughs> yeah. has that. He's, he's got a, a conversation with God. He's like, are you sure that's what he said? Really? You know, so these guys are really going on a lot of trust from what their leader's telling them, as well as, you know, just the courage to be able to stand in this. You know, we talk about safety in numbers, so. right? And I'll always, you know, joke, the joke about hiking is if you're going to go hiking out in the woods where there's dangers of bear, you just, you always hike with people who are a little slower than you are so that the bear would get someone else. I think if you're going off to war against the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other Eastern peoples, like, You'd rather be one out of 30,000. You know, you're, if they've got a thousand archers shooting arrows at you, your odds are much better of not getting hit if you're one out of 30,000 than if you're one out of 300. And so here, you know, where they maybe could have thought in their minds, geez, you know, we signed up to go fight with this Gideon guy and now he's sending all the army away. Like, I'm losing confidence in his ability to lead. I'm losing losing confidence in his military strategy. I'm losing confidence in my ability to survive this battle and make it home to my, you know, my family. Uh, I think, yeah, this is a testimony to uh, some very faithful 300 Israelites. And and I think that uh, anywhere that Gideon would be commendable for his obedience and his faith in God in this story, I think these 300 would be standing right there with him as uh, as faithful people as well, as, as heroes in their own right, I guess. And they don't, none of them get named. And, and I think sometimes when we're reading scripture, like we're reading highlights about life. I think you and I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, maybe not on the podcast, maybe it was just before recording, but that it it can be really easy to read the highlights, which is the scripture, and then to be frustrated that our life isn't just one successive roll of slow motion highlights after another. Well, and to add to that, if you were to look over the course of Gideon's life, this is kind of, like I was saying, this is kind of the shining moment. Yeah. You know, um, if, if you were to look over most of the events of his life, he probably had a lot of days in the mundane, a lot of days where he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Um, not to be the spoiler, but, you know, later on in the story, he kind of screws up royally. So, you know, the, we tend to remember these large moments in Scripture, and they can be moments of encouragement for us. And I think that they should pose as moments of encouragement for us, because when we see the faithfulness of people and we see God come to intervene on behalf of his people when they are faithful, that's an encouragement to us to, to stay true to the things that we know about God and, and and close in that relationship with God. But our lives aren't particularly epic every single day, and that's okay. Um, but God is looking for a people that would be faithful to him in every moment, yeah. whether it's a big yeah, or small. Yeah, I think faithful to him. I think God's also looking for people who are, are faithful to stand with each other, to, to maybe stand with uh, a halfway crazy God-following leader, and you know, history ends up really being impacted by the people whose names so often don't make the headlines. And so for like these 300 guys, uh, you know, we, we don't know any of their names. And too often we forget about the ones who don't make the headlines, the ones who don't get to have the, you know, the big name. I mean, I've been reading through the, the stories of, of David and, and Saul and Samuel and Joab comes to mind as one of these incredibly influential early Israelite leaders. And he was never a king. He was never a anything more than a general of the army, and he's a mixed character too. He has good good days and bad days, but uh, holy cow, the guy's resume is, he was he's probably one of the most influential figures in the early years of that kingdom. And so, um, you know, he doesn't get all the accolades that David does or even that Saul does, but 
uh, is probably in many ways as big an influence on on the nation, uh, and God used him in in ways that were maybe just as significant. So, so here's Gideon. He's got a handful of faithful people. I imagine he's probably feeling simultaneously really grateful for each one who stayed there in the line, and yet at the same time desperately discouraged about each one who left. Uh, and I think it's possible to feel those things at the same time. I mean, I know in my life, I, you know, it's just humanity's a mixed bag, and so we can be simultaneously grateful and discouraged. Uh, but the good news of the story is that God can, at least the good news of the next part of the story, is that God can look down on our discouragement, and, and he feels compassion for us in that moment. Uh, and especially through Jesus Christ, we know that God knows what it is to be a human being trying to obey by faith, trying to keep uh, uh, an eternal perspective of faith and trust in God, and yet facing what seems like insurmountable odds. And this next part of the story is so awesome to me because what happens isn't necessarily vital to the outcome of the battle, but it, it really speaks of God meeting Gideon as someone who's struggling with fear and, and maybe needs a little bit of extra encouragement. And so God cares for the man, Gideon, in, in a way that goes beyond just the necessity of having the Bible story work out the way he wants it to. Uh, he really meets Gideon in a special place. That's in verse 9. Do you want to start reading it? During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pira and listen to what they are saying. And afterward, you will be encouraged. Yeah. So to God asked him, "If you're afraid to go and attack, then do this thing." And I'm thinking, of course, Gideon's afraid. I mean, it doesn't mean he's not going to obey. He's come this far, right? He dumped 99 percent of his army. He's still marching out. I'm sure, in some ways, he's putting on a brave face, right? And oftentimes, leaders feel the pressure to put on a brave face. You know, <laughs> no, we're doing okay. You know, we really trust God. No, we. We didn't need those guys <laughs> that went away. We're, we're going to be just fine. You know, God's got this. And in his mind, I'm sure he's just thinking, man, God, what in the world are you doing? And so he goes into his tent at night, and he's crying into his pillow. And, and God is sensitive to these inner needs of Gideon for assurance, for encouragement. And so he's like, Gideon, if you're afraid, I've set something up. Go down into the camp and listen to what's being said and it's, it's really going to encourage you. And so Gideon and his servant Pira go down into the outpost of the camp. And verse 12, it, it says the, the Midianites, the Amalekites, all the other eastern people, they're set on the valley. They're thick as locusts. Their camels could, be, could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Uh, so you imagine the scene, right? It, on the one hand, camped, uh, I don't know, up on the hill, hidden, is this tiny, laughable army of 300 men versus camels that are as vast as the sands on the seashore. And uh, I mean, I think about that image again. It's like, I cannot, I, I can't believe that Gideon found 300 men willing to follow him into those odds. I, I mean, in, in some ways, this is almost as miraculous as the victory itself, right? I mean, where are you going to find 300 guys who would sign up for that? Um, let alone actually win the battle. Where are you going to find guys who are just willing to go into it? Anyhow, Gideon goes down to the camp just as a man is telling his friend a dream. The man says, I've had a dream. And he was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. This is what one Midianite soldier is saying to another. Verse 14, his friend responded, well, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, 
Surely God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. <laughs> I mean, what else could it be? <laughs> I, I'm a complete stranger to dream interpretation, but that one sounds pretty solid to me. Loaf of bread, what could it be other than Gideon? So Gideon hears this dream, its interpretation, and then the scripture says that he bowed down and he worshiped. And, uh, and I think this is an amazing story of God in a special way who's calling a man to do something impossible. And God knows it's impossible. And so then it's a story of God calling the man to do something impossible and then taking that man by the hand and walking with him. And this is the kind of leader that God is. Yes, he asks us to do difficult things, but he's gracious to us in those moments of weakness. He's patient with us in those moments of hesitation, and he's faithful to give us everything that we need. Certainly Gideon's gotten everything that he needed right here. So doubts start to melt off of Gideon, and his faith is being restored. And despite his desperate circumstances, I imagine he can say with integrity, yes, God has got this. Don't worry about how it looks. God is working beyond what we can see. And if he is for us, who can be against us? You know, it strikes me that um, it's not necessarily even as hard to have the faith that God is in this. Because if you if you truly believe in God, you would believe that God was capable of creating the heavens and the earth. You, were, you would believe that he was capable of establishing the nation of Israel. I mean, you think about behind Gideon and all the stories that get him to this point. Um, but it strikes me that in this moment, you really have to be confident that you're hearing the voice of God. You have to be close enough to God in this moment to believe that this is something that he is in fact doing in you. So anyhow, he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all the men with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when, when I and all of the men who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other uh, with their swords, and the army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mihulah. Good job with those Tabath. words, Tyler. <laughs> Glad I didn't have to read that part. So Israel has this great victory, you know, and, and the rest of the passage is talking about all the places they chased him and, and all the places they had victory and calling other tribes in to help them with, with the ultimate victory. And really, this is the part of the story that I think is familiar, especially for those who have read it before or grew up hearing the story of Gideon in Sunday school. You know, this is a story of a deliverer being raised up, and as, as that deliverer is obedient to God... God fights the battle for him. And there's this army that's too numerous to be counted sitting in the valley. And when the clay pots are broken, the torches are lit, the trumpets are blown, 
God throws these thousands upon thousands of warriors into confusion, and, and, and they end up just consuming themselves with their, uh, with their oppression and with their violence. Um, this is a story that's familiar, not just because you've maybe heard it before, because you've heard the story of Gideon before, but this is a story that's familiar because this is a story that's told over and over again when God comes through insurmountable odds. We never thought it would work out. We were at the end of ourselves, and then God somehow came through. God is faithful. God does not abandon his people. This is a story that's told and retold and retold and retold, not just in scripture, but in the lives of his obedient people who are serving him today. And I think one of the things that I hope you notice in the story is how God uses obedience. You know, the emphasis of the story isn't necessarily on God using Gideon's brilliance or his might or his dedication to preparation or his amazing leadership abilities. It's about God using Gideon's obedience and, as we've alluded to, a fleeting obedience because this is not a man whose life was marked by obeying God. But in this moment, he really shines as a great example of that. And so in this story, it's so apparent that, that God loves to use the obedience of his people and, and I think another takeaway for us is, is how apparent it is that God is willing to walk hand in hand with his chosen people as they struggle every step of the way to obey. God's patiently stabilizing Gideon through his doubts. He's providing assurance and answers to his questions. And ultimately, God secures for him a total victory. God's faithful even when we are not. God stands true even when we're shaky. He delivers us from the idol of our own strength in the moments when we think we're standing strong so that we can be joined with the rest of creation in God's complete victory. So that we can be joined with uh, the rest of creation on the day of God's victory, declaring that God alone is our refuge and strength, that he alone is the one worthy of worship and glory and honor and praise, and that he alone is the one who's overcome the world. So I pray that as we just reflect on this story this week as you face whatever challenges you might be facing, uh, that you would be encouraged that there are faithful people who have walked before whose obedience has resulted in great victory uh, through the Lord's strength. And I pray that as you uh, face those challenges, you would feel God strengthening your spirit, encouraging you where you feel weak or shaky, and uh, that God will also surround you with the remnant, with the 300, uh, knowing that uh, God calls us to obey him, uh, and he also does not call any of us to walk alone, but he's calling his family to walk together. And so uh, I pray that you would experience that. In fact, Tyler, would you close us out just praying for those couple of things today, and, and we'll finish our time. Yeah, God, we're thankful for stories in the Bible like this that remind us that you're capable of anything. And we're thankful that um, we can be reminded from stories behind us that you still want to continue to do things like this in our lives today. So I would pray that you would um, make your voice even clearer in our lives. And if, this, if a story like this um, prompts us to think of, man, it's been a while since we've heard your voice, I know that that's, that's maybe where I am today. I just would pray that you would bring me into closer relationship with you so that I would hear you clearly um, and would be confident about the things that you're asking me to do. Maybe um, as audacious as Gideon's story or something as simple as just being kind uh, to someone. Uh, but I pray that you would, you would make my ears attentive to the things that you're doing 
um, and make our, our lives um, in submission to um, no matter what you ask us to do and that we would follow through with those things as faithful stewards of your kingdom. We love you. Amen.